Hi, and welcome back to Beyond All My Expectations. Today we have Emmanuel Aramu with us. Hi, Emmanuel. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing today? The sun is so, so shining, so make it make oh, it very it. <laughs> sun is back. I think you willed it. Okay, so before we press record, Emmanuel had claimed that the sun was shining, um, and I looked out my window and was very disappointed. And suddenly, I can see the sun coming through again. So I think you willed the sun back out. No, you got, you got to. I'm, I'm matching the branding and the branding of the show is yellow. So I'm trying to bring the sunshine out. I feel like I should be doing that. I'm not. I'm not the best girl. I'm just like it's, it's, it's England. It's grey. You know, it's always grey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so it just tells you, even so far, I guess we're still in the morning part of the day or just into the afternoon part of the day. Yeah, yeah, we're very busy. I think uh, it's definitely a busier Friday than most days, but definitely trying to make the most out of it, trying to get a few things dotted off before the weekend comes around. So yeah, just trying to make the most out of, my, most out of a Friday. I feel like the TGIF spirit is, 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 is dead. We need to bring that back to live scene because I'm just <laughs> like, eh. I'm like, I guess I, I fall off my laptop and just fall into my bed and then open up a TV show and then it's Monday again. It's been very... <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be fair, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something I realised is like the weekends just fly by obviously in this, you know, current pandemic semi, you know, yeah. lockdown situation. Weekends just like feel like two, like a day nowadays. So it's kind of weird that time just speeds through. Yeah, it's so weird. I had like an invitation to uh, theatre, like to go to the theatre and I was just like, what time am I going to have to do this? I was like, when am I expected to do all these things? I'm like, there was a time where like you do like seven different things at the weekend and still have your Sunday left. And now it just seems so unfathomable that we yeah. can be all these people in all these places. But I'm excited to get back to that part of life. Yeah, 2022. All right then. So we've been speaking and, you know, Emmanuel's brought the sun, which I'm actually very happy about. It's, just, it's making my mood brighter. But as always, we're going to ask Emmanuel to give us the proper intro into who he is as a professional and, you know, can give us some personal too, please. Over to you, Emmanuel. Yeah, I, I classify myself as the curious uh, person. So I'm always trying to find the behind the scenes, trying to get into the details of things. So that's where my nerd, my nerd side of my personality shines. And that's kind of manifested into two main areas in my life right now, professionally. Uh, professionally, as a marketer, so I've worked for quite a few small business-sized businesses um, and, and startups as well. Primarily focusing on marketing, so growth marketing, and we'll be touching that in a bit. Growth marketing, which is essentially just, you know, working across many departments, help grow a startup quite quickly, as well as angel investing. So myself and our four other business partners are basically a part of Community Growth Ventures, which is an angel group invested in underrepresented founders in the UK. So, so far today, we've done three investments. One's about to be announced soon and got another two more to do this quarter. So busy, busy, busy on our end to say the very least. So that's where my curiosity tends to lie at this moment in time. So that's essentially me in a nutshell. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. And, you know, first thing I picked up on was this, you know, idea of your nerd self. And I, I yep. find it fascinating that people say, you know, people link their interest to being like a nerd. And I wonder why we turn passion into like this idea of like I'm this in this little box aren't we all passionate about something to a concerning degree I mean I'm currently passionate about you know the real housewives but <laughs> I'm quite a nerd on that but you know. I, I've been introduced to that world I've been introduced to the real housewives of Atlanta I'm like why has no one told me about this show it's this fantastic is isn't it I know it's just you're truly just like I think it's one of those things you watch and you think well that's never going to be my life and I'm glad about yeah. this but I'm glad yeah. someone's living out this specific non-fantasy exactly. fantasy I've had of what my life could look like yeah <laughs> and it's just like there's so many storylines and plot lines you're like first of all yeah I just appreciate like really good editing and yeah. the way they like edit certain scenes together you're like wow whoever whoever did that edit yeah they, they need all the money and raise and praise because <laughs> they really know how to spice up the drama and the plot lines on those particular shows to say the very least no, actually, I am currently invested in Real Housewives, but I'm always passionate about books. I think that's going to be my me thing, my little nerd space. But again, I don't call it a nerd thing because I think, you know, hey, someone has to be passionate about this. Um, particularly, you know, when we talk about the VC space and, you know, growing startups, someone has to be passionate about, about this because it's how, you know, good ideas become lifelines for so many more people. And I want to talk first basically about this growth hacking or growth marketing side of what you've done because if no one knows this I used to be a growth marketer accidentally and that's a whole other long story but I thought 
it wasn't the best seven months of my life but mm-hmm. I, I want to see I'm glad to see someone who's doing it and loves it so first of all can you just share what growth marketing is for anyone who doesn't know what that is so so yeah essentially growth marketing growth hacking was coined by uh, a guy called Sean Ellis uh, in the states and he was basically hired to work with quite a few um, high growth technology startups in the states and he employed a number of marketing tactics and engineering within a product to kind of help grow his user base and ultimately help grow the actual revenue. The term itself, uh, I've come to realize, means two different things, it's, it, which is kind of interesting across the point. And in America, it's more like you know a systematic, you know, approach to marketing. In the UK and across Europe, I feel that like some people are not quite grasping what it actually means. So it means quite different things to different different companies. But essentially what it boils down to me is it's really just having a more holistic view to marketing and employing a number of channels to help sustainably grow uh, your business. And obviously iterate and experiment with those channels to ho- hopefully grow your business. The problem I've realized is that yeah, I, I do have to probably <laughs> kind of correct what you said in terms of finding joy. Like I, I've experienced some companies who don't necessarily understand that fundamental definition of growth marketing or growth hacking essentially is that you really need to approach things in a systematic manner. It, it isn't just, oh, we're going to do, let's say, for example, I run an e-commerce business that sells, I don't know, cups. And, and essentially I want to use email marketing to help grow a number of orders. Like you could do a campaign, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing growth marketing. You really need to have a systematic approach, approach to a experiment with the channel in order for hopefully get more people buying your particular product but you can't just rely on one channel you have to really think about okay this is just one email channel this is one product what about all the rest of the products i have what about the website what about you know how my messaging my brand positioning how about you know really leveraging you know your customers how are you enticing your customers to come back again to order you from again order from you again i think it's really taking a whole holistic approach to marketing is incredibly critical to really get growth marketing implemented at a company and another thing to realize is that it's not just marketing. <laughs> it, it's, it's a whole company approach and a company shift towards really trying to make those incremental gains and really try to tie in your entire uh, marketing funnel. So from someone, you know, visiting a website for them becoming a brand ambassador and like, you know, using word of mouth to help promote your business, really thinking throughout all those steps and really putting a good system in place is, is essentially what I, at least what I believe uh, growth, growth marketing to be. That explanation was a clear show of expertise in this space because you talked about leveraging, you talked about email marketing channels, you talked about retention. You really just brought that whole sort of, I guess, ecosystem into this explanation of what growth marketing is. And I think, you know, for anyone who's on the marketing space, you know, open up a marketing dictionary. I don't know if it exists and, you know, this can help you. But I think these conversations about, you know, what really moves the business and uh, thinking through how you retain. And I think because at the end of the day, growth marketing is not just about, you know, gaining new customers, it's about how do we then keep them, you know, within the space. And I love what you said about understanding of what growth growth marketing is, because I think, you know, my experience, why I say it wasn't a great experience is I don't think I had the best experience of a company that was using growth marketing in Uh a way that, well, I'll say worked for me because I'm very much on the um, systematic and, you know, the process of things and also spending time. And that wasn't the approach that was being taken. But also I wasn't hired to be a growth marketer. So again, a long story that, you know, <laughs> what we talk about offline. And um, mm-hmm. so I think it's quite interesting yeah, when we think about, you know, how what the interpretation of a word can be and how different places approach it. And I, I, I'm flagging this out because I'm just thinking for anyone who's, you know, applying to jobs right now, marketing, I think, you know, sometimes we think a word means one thing but I think asking further questions and pushing how a company when you know if a company says we want a growth marketer what do they mean for that company and thinking about if that works for you um is just an important I guess space to be in and you know you've heard from Emmanuel's mouth that is so much that goes on there so so much (laughs) which is an interesting space absolutely like um like I've 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 interviewed I've interviewed for roles right and I've literally asked them so what do you guys deem as growth marketing and you'd be surprised people people's responses sometimes it's the ceo of a company who's a little bit early on in their company's um journey they basically say i want someone who's an seo wizard i need someone who is a landing page ninja he's like i'm not trying to do karate here man i'm just (laughs) i'm trying to do a good job (laughs) that's what that's what you get sometimes right and it's a case of like really hammering home like you know what is the company's definition 
our growth marketing? Do they really understand it, right? And another thing to realize is like, it's not just for you to really make a systematic change within a company's approach to, you know, marketing. Marketing touches so many departments, you really have to, you know, have buy-in from the top. It's very, very hard. And I've worked in places where, you know, you've got the marketing manager who really obviously believes in marketing, but then, you know, C-suite, senior management, they don't necessarily understand, like, you know, we can actually deliver a ton of business leads for the sales team, or we could deliver like really good, amazing experience to customers so they're not leaving us or canceling subscriptions. If we start to think about things, you know, that are not just solely focused on marketing, it's about that customer um, support, a customer journey after they've made that um, purchasing decision, and really even thinking after they become a customer, how can we turn them into a, van- a brand evangelist or, or someone who's a brand ambassador, unofficial brand ambassador? I think those, those, and that kind of helps you with that sustainable, consistent growth. Because if someone's going out there saying your brand is amazing, saying your product or service or customer service is amazing, people are gonna, you know, wanna, you know, be involved or like actually buy or use your services. So I think that's very, very important that you know everyone buys in and everyone's yeah. on the same page, man. Like it, it, I've seen it happen so many times. And when I quickly realize, oh, this is not going my way, I'm, 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 I'm out the door. I love the, uh, you know, CEO ninja. Oh, <laughs> so many weird things you see out there, man. Uh, yeah, so I weird. think, you know, I think there's a there's a movement where people try to make jobs sound like this sort of. <laughs> I don't know what the word I want to call it is, but where you feel like I'm, I'm going to, and they want you to feel like you're coming in and you're going to attack things, and it's sort of like a lot of yeah. the time the reality of work is it's going to be a process of like slow, you know moving parts and it and so I, it's a very interesting um I think there was a season I hope it's over now because when I think once we were there working from home it's sort of like I'm not attacking anything I'm working from bed or you yeah. know I'm working and I'm, I'm in my kitchen and it's like my life is injustice you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm passionate about what I'm doing but it's not the entirety of you know my identity and I think yeah that language is really important so yeah within so within the growth marketing space how did you come into this because I feel growth marketing still particularly in the UK and Europe it's still relatively like a newer idea and as you said people are still adapting and understanding the reality of what it means so how did you shift into growth marketing per se outside of the other different you know strands of marketing that do exist yeah I guess from one perspective it's kind of fits my my marketing skills so like I have proficiency in you know really optimizing really making sure like you know your customer journey as soon as they interact with the company from like a marketing channel is well optimized so a nice way of saying that is is marketing funnel optimization. So as soon as someone lands on your landing um, your website, all the way through to them being you know a customer or you know marketing hand that particular business lead to the customer is where like I'm I'm very good at. And so that kind of you know leads to you acquiring a number of skills. So I acquired you know really, really focusing on email marketing, really focusing on, on really optimizing landing pages. So I was already already kind of like on my way with this, just just based on my curiosity, and just trying a bunch of marketing channels and then really trying to get my get my knowledge and experience up. But then as, as I started to read a little bit more, so like there was a website called GrowthHackers, I think.com, I think it still is going. So that has amazing case studies of how Uber, Tinder, Spotify, Shopify, all these companies were able to like really approach marketing in a systematic way to help them, you know, achieve quite exponential growth so from there I kind of got curious and said okay I, I understand this I've got some skills in this area but I need something to kind of help crystallize that and then I was fortunate enough to I was working in a startup at the time um, and I was fortunate enough to go do a course with a company called Growth Tribe so Growth Tribe I think they're based out of Amsterdam but they do well, in the old times, we used to go do courses in, in buildings. Um, I'm aging myself now. I feel like the last, <laughs> last year and a half has felt like five. So anyone can say anything oh, no. else. But yeah. It's <laughs> Absolutely. Once upon a time. Like <laughs> and yeah, so that kind of, it was a three-day course, like an intro to growth marketing. And that kind of gave me the, the systems in place that were kind of helped me with the particular company I was working at at a moment in time terms of systematically 
you know, testing a bunch of marketing channels, systematically generating business leads for the business, and also being able to really experiment as well across a number of channels. So that was my first foray into that. And then from there, basically just learning from experience and picking people's brains about new channels and new approaches to things. So yeah, so that's, that's generally like what was my intro to growth marketing. That's quite comprehensive. And I love that you took both the, you know, the, I'm just going to practically learn, but I'm also going to take courses. And I think it's really important when people talk about, you know, learning on the job that you sometimes it's also a course. It's not just, you know, sitting in the office and Googling things. That's important, but mm-hmm. there are courses available. Do them, please do them because sometimes, like you, sometimes, you know, you set, you're sat down scratching your head and the thing you learn, you, you spend two weeks over on Google learning. You could pay for a course and often companies subsidize these things. So again, take advantage of what's available within the companies you're working with. So you've spoken about your working in startups and I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more people working in startups because it's becoming, there's more space for it or we're see, the discussion about startups existing is a lot more public, you know, so people are understanding the different ways that businesses operate. Now, I'm about to ask you a question about how did you fall into the startup world? Because I think there's an expectation when people start working startups and there's a reality of them actually committing to working with startups which you've done in the long term so how did you fall into working with the startup and what what has given you staying power within that space yeah i i i feel like the journey into it was very very actually it's a funny journey that involves brexit (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. so basically i was working at um, a private arts university for about 18 months and then i was like i had friends of mine who created startups and I like you know was able to share some ideas of how they should approach marketing and like different ideas for them to acquire customers even how to just ask like do customer interviews to yeah. better understand the customers they're targeting and a friend of mine was on my case was like look you need to get involved in startups he literally every single time I saw him he was harassing me he would say Emmanuel why are you not in a startup so, <laughs> so, so I was like okay I, I will get my act together so I applied uh, for, for a bunch of roles, uh, primarily at ADC startup, because I feel like I needed to get that sufficient startup experience before I go work for like, you know, a company that had raised a series A or series B round of funding. So eventually I found a company that essentially helped retailers optimize the prices on a website and basically had it off on the table. But because Brexit happened, the investor, literally on the same day that Brexit results day, the Friday, Literally, I got a call from the CEO. He says, oh, by the way, I know I gave you an offer and you said everything. Because the investor pulled out, we're going to have to like push your start date for another three know, months. Wow. So you had to go back out to the market to go raise uh, enough money to, you know, bring, yeah, to bring me on board. Uh, so that was, that was, that was, thank you, Brexit. <laughs> so, so there's another reason why I was drowning my sorrows on that Friday. Um, <laughs> Very different Friday than today. Very, very different. And yeah, from there, I joined as employee number one at the company and mainly focused on marketing. So literally helping with the company launch and then figuring out what channels can a company use to target the B2B professionals in retail companies and distribution companies initially within the UK and Ireland. So yeah, that, that was my first foray into it. I guess when you join a startup, especially at the early stage, I'm talking about maybe like even up to probably like, you know, 50 people, you are really, your your remit, the unspoken remit is that you kind of have to take ownership on a lot of things. So yeah, I think for my end, I literally just dived in the deep end, was trying to make sure marketing was in a sufficient position. So, you know, producing the content, working with, I had a copywriter at the time, working with her to produce a content plan, working with the team to figure out what we do for product launches, you know, working quite closely with the CEO to figure out, okay, which businesses are you know good leads to follow up on and which ones should we not really focus on and so really getting close to sales for the first time in my life but you really get to learn so much like I spent four years at that startup and definitely I learned a lot um a lot of things you know what to do and what not to do but also being able to work quite closely with sales and product and customer um, success uh, the customer success team who kind of help people after they, they've you know they've bought the product it's kind of given me a holistic view of how like a startup is run and obviously how you build up those functions and and, and really try to scale a business so yeah the initial part you literally just taking ownership of things and that's why i feel when i look at people who are you know joining a startup and they're coming from professional experience and never worked at a startup before is that sometimes the startups don't tell the people joining exactly what they're going to get <laughs> and exactly what 
to expect. Funny enough, speaking of expectations. <laughs> so it's good to, you know, know what you're getting into, that it's going to be a case that you are just going to have to take a lot, a lot of ownership. So that's why, you know, when you are making that decision and you're going to allocate a lot of your time, sometimes you allocate, you, you're joining a startup and you're taking a bit of a pay cut. You need to realize what you're getting yourself into and really you're making a bet on the future prospects of the business that in two to three, four years time, you'll be in a good you know, financial position that it's going to either raise a ton of money or your customers are going to be there where you're going to be able to at least get on a good footing. But at the same time, you're learning a ton. You learn so much within a startup that it's a good learning experience and someone else is dying to say the very least. Yeah, I, I, like I asked that question because that's, you know, that's why I wanted to get to this idea of expectation, the reality of the startup world. And, and I have been fortunate to work in and with startups. So I worked in one and was like, oh, this is not for me. But I was really, I really love, you know, the grit and the idea of what's going on there. But I think, yeah, the idea of what expectations, because you really do have to buckle in and basically just put your whole foot into the knee and be really into it and I think yeah there's this idea of like you know you're you're, I want to change the world but like you know I'm like four days a week you're in front of your laptop like you know what maybe the world's fine (laughs) Uh, does the world need this you know this is a lot so much going on um but I think yeah the startup world is fascinating exciting but it's also like it's it is hard work and you being employee one I'm just like oh my god wow because you must have really just been what were you guys like in one room together just like figuring things out together yeah I, I yeah, yeah. That space. Uh, so it's like a bunker room yeah yeah so absolutely so there, there was a found initial founding team um yeah. so the founding team two of, two of the engineers were based in office outside london and i was literally working from the founders living room yeah he had a spare he had a spare room so worked initially in the living room but he had a spare room so he worked there until we found a good office office space around london bridge and then we obviously moved there and then the, that was the journey from a company from there basically so yeah like it was it was really interesting you really basically just have to roll up your your your, your sleeves and get involved but that's why i think it's important and that, that's again that's at that very early stage of a startup right yeah. just two people in a room getting on with it but they are startups that have been that are more mature that have raised you know tens tens of even a couple oh, yeah. million couple million tens of million we, we have seen we have seen some of these acquisitions um these yeah. my god wow <laughs> billions even uh so yeah who is on is someone on like round z now and you're just like sure i I guess so (laughs) you know so like but then at that stage is it really a startup if he's raising billions of pounds probably not it's it's, it's not yeah (laughs) i think that's a whole that's a whole conversation because i i I personally feel like you know at a certain Mm -hmm. stage of money raised you're no longer a startup when you go from a startup to just a company but i think also you know we're seeing so much rapid raising if companies are Mm -hmm. getting are existing and being well funded to very interesting amounts you know by year five where Again, I think it's, you know, the onset of or the impact of tech on a lot of what people are doing because you need you do need a lot of capital to run, you know, a lot of tech based businesses. But I mean, we'll see, you know, we'll see what the long term of these companies are, see how this money is spent. It's both exciting and scary for me to watch these things happen because I'm like, oh, there's so much money out there. Why can't I have any of it? (laughs) Why why can't I have any of it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why, why is it scary i want to know I, I think it's you know uh, and i say scary because you just think companies are being funded you know very large amounts like quite quickly quite rapidly and it's you know i think having been in the startup space and watched you know what it takes to grow an idea i just think how it, for the founder and for the founding team there's so much more you're learning than just how to grow the idea you're learning how to run a business you're learning how to manage people you're learning and I, there's just so many different moving parts all at once and like you get to a certain amount of money and then you know how do you keep the heart of the company because what we are seeing now so we look at like long-term companies and we don't think of Shell as having a heart but I can think of Oatly as having a heart does that make sense yeah, and at yeah. what point does money de- money deviate you from the heart of the company to just this is a business and you know what does that then mean for ethics and this is a whole yeah com- conversation about like ethics and business and ambition absolutely and, and i feel i i feel that on so many levels i think and this is why at cgv the angel group i'm a part of when i when i initially have conversation with founders i i, I ask them like so where do you see this going and do you have your end do you have your end goal in mind or how are you going to get there 
I think that's important to know, and I think the founders need to know that. For some people in certain industries, you're basically in a land grab, you're trying to grab as much market share as possible, so you probably do need to raise a lot of money, because if you don't, your competitors will do so. Like, example I think of is, like, Uber. When Uber were not publicly traded, they were basically raising um, a lot of money (laughs) to compete with um, other competitors across the world. And I remember the example of they were competing against the Chinese um, ride hailing app called Didi. And they unfortunately lost because they were, I kid you not, they were they were burning through a billion dollars a month. In China. Yeah, I heard. Uh, and that Again, is the scary part of me being like, there's yeah. a lot of money going out there, and yeah. a lot of companies uh, that we think are making money are still making losses, despite yeah. you know having <laughs> raised so much. Yeah, and and that's why that's why it's incredibly important as a founder of a business that you understand exactly what you want to do. Do you want to build a profitable, sustainable business? You probably might not need to raise, you know, five, six, seven, A to Z rounds for you to get to your end goal. You might just need to raise a couple, and obviously you build a sustainable business the traditional way. I can't believe I have to say that. But then, in the case of that, if you want to hit high growth and you have targets you want to reach and you want to make sure you're in a commanding position in your market, you might need to raise a ton of money. But again, I have to caveat all that because as the numbers, you know, I know the numbers are quite dismal when it comes to, you know, black people raising money in the UK, the US, everywhere, really, it's quite the funding gap is the way, the way I look at it, I think, especially, and I don't mean to jump, but especially when I look at what COVID has done is that it's just accelerated money, capital allocation, money going to startups that were already winning. So that's why you see rounds that are in the billions, you know, startups raising billions of pounds, <laughs> billions of dollars, billions of pounds uh, of startups going public. And that disparity has just increased during COVID, I've seen. And I don't think that's a good thing because, yes, you know, VCs are back in a winner. And I completely understand they've got to return the money to their own investors as well because VCs have investors. But also the opportunities and amazing founders out there you don't necessarily get the spotlight but are building you know high growth businesses don't necessarily get that investment so yeah that's and yeah so that's 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 what i've seen in the marketplace over the last year and a bit now that we've been on you know dealing with the covid situation yeah thanks for that and that's where i was getting to you you know when i said you know why isn't any of this money coming to me and me as you know mm-hmm. the black business like i'm not i'm not actually raising any money guys as a caveat. i just mean you know my people because you know, I looked at Community Group Ventures, which is, you know, the, and your founding, are your founding partner? Yep, yeah, 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 yeah. I was right in saying that. And, you know, I, I open up the website and I look on the team page and everyone is back, even the advisors. And I was just like, wow, this is not something I have, you know, seen or I see often, you know. Mm-hmm. I often see one or two black people, but I looked on this page and was like, okay, everyone here is back. And I was like, this is answering a problem that we do know exists. And I, I spoke to someone recently, going back to your point on COVID and how we're seeing funding being allocated. And someone said the issue is COVID hasn't just, closed, hasn't just widened financial gaps, it's widened network gaps. So right now, people who already do not have access to networks are so, so much further behind because you can't, you can't just send an email, you know, the same way like an Uber CEO can send an email because they've had the years to network. If I'm a starting founder, my network isn't built enough for me to quickly send an email or, you know, have someone vouch for me. And this is an issue that COVID has widened, but it existed prior to pandemic and Brexit. And that is, you know, black owned businesses weren't getting funding so that, you know, they're not able to grow as quickly or, you know, reach the impact levels they need to actually make space in the industry. So tell us more about community group, community growth group ventures, because I want to hear all about this. Yeah, so Community Growth Ventures, CGV for sure. So we've been going for a good four years now. So initially the team, myself and Denzel knew each other back, so quite a way back. And then we reconnected. And really around the same issue I was seeing in terms of, you know, funding going to, you know, predominantly people coming from a particular background, which are not black or Asian. And so it was really quite telling uh, seeing the funding rounds that are coming through tech crunches, like single founders again and again. And you think, wait a minute. Like, I know there's amazing people who I've come across, even with my limited time in technology, who are building amazing startups, but they're not getting the funding. So that's why me and Denzel connected and said, okay, how can we solve this? He said, okay, why don't we just put together, you know, angel group to really focus on the early stage 
pre-season stage in particular. So myself, Denzel, Abby, Abigail, so all have quite varied experience. So my background is marketing. Denzel, he's worked at the Bank of England for quite a number of years. Like he works, so he brings, you know, he's run businesses before. So he brings that approach, really financial modeling to the table. Abby, so she was a full stack developer. So she used to do um, development projects for local government and projects outside of that as well. So now she's at Technation and she's doing amazing things with a cybersecurity program. So she's able to bring that, you know, really focus on your product roadmap. How do you approach hiring a developer so you're not losing money? And boy, I've seen so many startups lose money on that. So that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode. So, so and then Abigail, us, Abigail also used to work at the Bank of England, but she works for commercial management consulting now. And she basically approaches things from a uh, regulatory perspective and, you know, compliance perspective as well. So she keeps it on my toes. So the four of us, you know, really pulled together our resources, time and energy into you know, startups. We were fortunate enough to, you know, again, to go back to the, the issue you raised about access. I didn't like when I was seeing certain VCs or people who invest, you can't get in contact with them. You have to get three different people to make an intro for you to come through. And I think the whole concept of a warm introduction is, is I'm not going to swear here, but it, it's, it's quite BS. I, I, I think you're allowed, like, you're allowed one or two. I'm not, oh no, it's, it's, it's kind of bullshit. Like, it really is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, it really is. I, I feel like, you know, if, if you've got capital, should, people should be able to reach you. You just have to state, obviously, what your criteria is and have, you know, literally that's what I did. I, I start, we started CGV. I said, okay, cool. Let's pop a website. Let's pop a form so that people can reach us, they could get in contact with us and we've been able to build it out since then. So, and everyone's working on a part-time basis, by the way, for the last like four years on CGV. So like, you know, we've all had full-time jobs whilst working CGV and been able to see over just over 250 different startups. A good 60% of them are coming from ethnic minority backgrounds and a good 25% of them are led by women. And, and since then, we've been able to invest um, in two. Actually, actually quick, oh, yes. Wow. Our first four investments, one, one of them is closed recently first one let me let me go back like so our first investment was in afrocentrics so they're, they're oh they're wow like, yes absolutely yeah, so love 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 that brand I, I, literally i'm seeing my shampoo and everything else right now on my table right now so 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 yeah i'm, I'm an avid fan uh avid user of, of the brand and yeah the team we've just gone on to strength to strength and you know they they they've got some big announcements coming their way so I won't spoil still their funder just yet so yeah the team's really 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 built really really built on since we invested in them in um 2018 and then we were able to do an investment in Freda so Freda is a it's a B2B platform that helps asset managers who manage a ton of money in the billions essentially um to manage some backroom processes and really make sure they streamline that process so we invested in them at the tail end of 2020 2020 mm-hmm. and then now we we close our third investment which should be announcing soon in a, in a data essentially a platform that helps people take control of their data and, and allows buyers to access that data in a more ethical and extremely transparent way so that's essentially that's, that's our third investment and all three investments are led by we didn't mean to <laughs> for it to happen but it just happened that way so yeah so that's that's what we've done so far and we've got another two so one that we both know that will be closing soon. wink wink uh, nudge nudge <laughs> yeah yeah that'll, that'll be closing soon and which also led, led by a, a, a woman woman as well and also we've got another investment actually should be our first male, male invest a man investment male so yeah so so yeah that's that's essentially what we've been up to over the, over the years and also just to add to that because we've been involved and some of the deals have come through people, people got really excited about them we and the most important thing is that with cgv is that we're not just the only person in town making these investments at the pre-seed and when i mean pre-seed is like really early like yeah. dragon's den without the dragon's den basically <laughs> for, for people listening back home basically like really early opportunities is that you don't become the only person doing that because the, the issue when you take a step back and you look at the bird's eye view of like, you know, is enough capital going to enough black led businesses um, in the UK? The answer, quite frankly, is no. And it's been quite, it's been quite systematic. When you look at, when I look at my own personal history, my mom came to London, established herself, had two shops in, in really remote market before, before it was gentrified. I um, mean, back in the early 2000s. Oh, gentrification. Had... Oh, man, And, and, you know, she had two shops and she, you know, was generating a lot of cash flow and she couldn't, she couldn't get a loan to get another shop. Like, you know, even though she was generating a, a lot of money from those shops and that the business was run, you know, quite, you know, wow. sensibly, she had yeah. an accountant, everything sorted couldn't get a loan so I, I know firsthand of like you know you, you get everything in order 
and still you're not able to access capital to help grow your your, your business whether it's you know non-vc businesses or just like you know vc businesses be access to capital is incredibly critical to you know help take your business to the next level if 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 you, if you need it right and i think with us, we always wanted to bring other investors to the table. So at CGV in particular, our first ever deal, we brought someone else who's never invested in a startup before into in, alongside us in Avocentrics. The deal we're doing, our third deal as well, we've got quite a few people who are making their first startup investment. The deal that we both know that's closing soon is at least, I kid you not, at least four people um, that we know personally who never made a startup investment or joining that deal. So it's giving people exposure to, I've got capital. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds especially at the early stage it could be a check size obviously depending on what the founder wants it could be a check size of like a couple thousand pounds ten thousand pounds twenty thousand pounds fifty thousand pounds if you if you if god has blessed you like that uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, these numbers are going up Emmanuel. Yes. Going up. <laughs> you'd be surprised man you'd be surprised small amount of fifty thousand but you know being able to you know put your money into amazing amazing talented people uh, not just young people people who've obviously got a ton of experience and they see opportunity in the market that you know appeals to a lot of people i think it just makes sense to do so and the number one thing that's one of the reasons why we put together angel group so we've got 15 people in there so far and that's growing quite steadily so we're bringing people or onboarding people into the group to make sure that you know they understand what investing in a startup is um, and obviously if they've got any questions we can help out with that because i i, I want to see in the next three to five years not only more angel investment groups that look like us i want to see more founders who've you know had successful exits they sold their business that they've gone public and they come back and they, they do invest in so again, it's, yeah. it's their way of recycling the money within you know our community and investing it in, in, in fantastic people and opportunities i'm gonna to have to take us back because you i feel like you glossed over this you just went you know we just got together and we started an angel investment group excuse me no no so can you kindly explain to us how, you know, what's the reality of bringing this together? Because you need capital, you need funding. Mm -hmm. So again, this is a group of four, you know, relatively young black people come together and saying we want to form an angel group. So what was it like to actually conceive CGV? Yeah, I mean, initially the main focus was to, and, and the same approach to building any business, right? Before you start spending money, you got to make sure that there's a market for what you're doing. Yeah. So for us, the first at least six months, was really getting, you know, establishing establishing ourselves within the tech community and in the investment community to understand, okay, who who invests early on and what opportunities are there, and that's why having the form on the website was really critical to people approaching us and having a quite clear idea of what we do. So really being able to test that out and obviously get some deals coming through, and that's how we were able to connect to Afrocentrics, and then from there, really. It's just a lot of time and energy, me and the founders, understanding if there's the right opportunity for you, assessing a business, assessing a team, especially our own is really assessing a team because the product and the, the business model is still, you know, still being worked on. It's not, it's not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for a perfect opportunity, I'll say you need to go invest in stocks and shares because uh, you know exactly the information coming through. They're going to report earnings every quarter, every yeah. three months. So you know exactly what's going on. Within a startup, they're like, I've literally just started or I've got a prototype, I've got MVP, I, I need customers. So it's really early. And obviously you need a, like a, a sufficient enough risk tolerance to, to invest in those early opportunities. But that's why you see the crazy growth, man. Like, I know recently quite a few companies have gone public and some of the early investors are earning, you know, 100 hundred times a thousand times the initial investment, depending if they've been diluted in terms of return. So like, you know, really focusing on building those relationships with the founders, other investors, and I guess to your question about funding. So the funding came primarily from our salaries. I, you know, did some consulting oh. work. Yeah, so I did some consulting work in the background. Some team members had money saved. So we said, okay, let's just get a couple of investments done. And then obviously we got, so we, we've done that. And there's only so many. Back, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a catch too, right? You do a number of investments and people see all you're investing, you get a lot more deal flow. So you have to figure out, okay, some deals might not be suited for us because they're a different sector, but also some deals we want to do, you want to add more financial firepower. So that's why you put together, we put together Angel Group, essentially. We did think about raising a fund, but you, you need, with anything in life, you need to be able to justify you getting access to capital. Yeah. So you, we needed a track record and we're building that track record right now. And there's quite a few opportunities coming through. So, you know, 15 angels for now and hopefully adding some more, some more angels as we go along to, you know, really have that financial firepower to, 
really helps some founders close rounds a lot quicker so they could get back to building their businesses and not fundraising all the time. I think that's so amazing that, you know, you all gathered what you had saved and sourced and took and took a risk and are taking a risk because already, you know, the founders you're working with investing in are their risk, you know, it's risky. Mm-hmm. This is very MVP said this is literally minimal value. You understand, you don't understand how this is going to move or, you know, shape within the industries they're going into. And you all said, let's go for it. And I just think, first of all, thank you. You know, just, you know, from from the blacks, as he's, as he's rose, thank you <laughs> for taking that. But also, I just you know you know I, I'm going to then have to use this word. You know, when you guys are doing this, you know, what were the, what was the reality of your expectations? You know, in terms of like, was, I'm sure there were conversations about success and failure. What what were those conversations like? What were the expectations when doing this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, failures. I guess. Yeah, f- failures were definitely attached to that capital constraint. So there yeah. was one deal. There was it pains me even telling it. There was one deal that got away purely because we didn't have enough capital at the time to invest in that round, and that company got acquired. So that that was that was painful. So that's that's on the, the anti portfolio. Uh, yeah. one, that one, one of the ones that got away in terms of expectations like we knew it was going to be a long road like we're not kidding ourselves we're you know four black people in their 20s trying to you know build a uh, investor track record and then obviously you know whether we roll that into a syndicate or roll that into an investor fund that focuses on early opportunities in the UK that, that's to be written but essentially we wanted to make sure that you know we knew it was going to be risky that's what we signed up for but ultimately the the, the downside was that if we just let things be and you know, just carry on with our normal lives, there'll be a, a ton of opportunities that wouldn't necessarily get the access to, you know, capital from us. Also access in terms of knowing what to do, how to approach raising around. So some people, they went to go speak to VCs before coming to see us. And that's probably the opposite way you want to do it. You want to yeah, speak to angel before VC. Yeah, exactly. So that A, it's kind of, to be quite frank, it's kind of helps the founders. They get to practice their pitch in environment which is low stress it's still stressful but you know like I hope different, yeah di- different you know yeah. I guess is it different? different I was going to use a sports metaphor and I'm so sorry everyone <laughs> I have never played a sport in my life <laughs> yeah there's a difference between a, there's a difference between a, there's a difference between the world championships and the olympics okay thank you see thank you so um, much I don't know what right. that means but <laughs> It sounds like someone out there understood that metaphor. Uh, yeah. And if you can I mean, please explain it to me when you hear this episode, I'd be so great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's like, you know, you want to... So if you were to go to like how, how I would like construct a round, yeah. in terms of you raising, let's say you want to raise half a million for, you know, your e-commerce startup, you would probably want to approach angels and really high net worth individuals for the, uh, at least a good, let's say a good 200,000 pounds of your of your initial part of that five hundred thousand pounds you want to raise, and okay. then after you get a certain number of commitments, not only do you have momentum, you can use that against other high net worth individuals. So let's say, for example, I approached you and said, "Hey, hey Nikki, I've got two hundred fifty k already committed from angel angel investors and um, high net worth individuals, uh, and you're a VC, Nikki." And I'd be like, "Hey, Nikki, uh, my round's half done, so either you're going to come in to collect the rest of it, or it's going to be gone to someone else. So it's really like using, really breaking around down um, into different chunks it will really help you try to at least get access to, at least close around a lot better. And, okay. and kind of you, and kind of flip it on its head, you're building momentum. Yeah. So if, if you approach a VC and they say the round is like literally 95% done and they love the opportunity, they love you, the team, you're more likely to get an answer and obviously like I'm not saying that's a very simplistic example there's still a lot of issues around you know people saying they're going to invest in what they're going and to invest actually, in yeah there's um, a difference between saying and doing as yeah, uh, <laughs> we often find in life and, and and I guess to go back to the earlier point of expectations one thing we did realize is that ultimately by being um at least visible it yeah. shows that if people would want to do something alongside like if a start their own angel group they either you know um, want to invest alongside us or either they're looking for capital or even just looking for advice of how to approach fundraising or how to approach certain things they know there's a there's a destination for that and the good thing is there's a few other people in, in, in the places in the marketplace as well doing the same thing but i guess just really being visible is important because 
if the mountain founders we've spoken to help them in terms of how would they approach particular investors and really think about their fundraising but even put fundraising to the side how to approach hiring and tapping into different networks i think is that that helps saves you a lot of time and energy if you're running a business or part of a startup at least so yeah that's generally what we try to do but yeah, expectations we know, we know it's gonna be hard <laughs> but if, if it was easy we wouldn't be doing it. i definitely see nothing worth doing nothing oh i can't remember anything today nothing worth nothing of worth wow okay no cannot remember this whoever does remember the saying please tell me why i know it fits into what you just said i think the final question i want to ask you before you know we move on is and if this is really tied to the personal because you've spoken about your you know doing cgv part-time and you're still working full-time so personally what you know what does sacrifice look like to make this happen what has been the reality of making these sacrifices and what did you think it would look like and what has it looked what i think it will look like was it will be a lot of hard work a lot but what it is was probably even more work so yeah i wouldn't say it's a lot easier when you have four people i I will say that um so there's been able to delegate but then also working with four people with the team like you're gonna have to figure out how everyone's working together and figure out you know systems in place to really manage everyone's workload so yeah getting to that place was a lot of like you know trial and error but yeah like in terms of sacrifice yeah evenings <laughs> so so monday there was a at least a two-year period where meeting a lot of founders i'm also building up the investing that relationships will require a lot of like you know after work meetings but also like you know doing office hours tenure pitch days so that that entails a lot of stuff outside of work outside of work so it's a whole nother it's basically two jobs essentially if you really think yeah. about it so yeah just trying to make sure that you know a we're in the right places with good relations with the right people but also be like you know we're closing the deals that we need to get done whilst also helping the founders out with any requests they have uh, for their particular startups as well so yeah, a lot of sacrifices trying to make it work that's why i think it's better to get involved in something like if you're looking to build your own angel group is to a have a team around you i think that's incredibly important it's hard to find people like that especially in the uk i always say that is that it's really tough for some people to make that commitment where a i'm i'm investing money that could go towards the house deposit like i'm i'm putting i'm putting off certain life decisions to make sure i have capital available to invest an opportunity those are very hard decisions and at the same time i don't fault people who don't want to get involved in that but at the same time like you know if we weren't doing it who will that's 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 generally my approach to it but at the same time after doing it for four years realize okay you know here's my sweet spot here's how many hours i can do in a week towards it and here's how i can support the team support the founders and support the wider ecosystem and also just being able to say no so you know when you kind of get over that guilt of saying because initially you do say i did say a lot a lot yes a lot of things but after a while i realized i'm only human i can't and I, and I did burn myself out. So just being able to you know, prioritize my health and really make sure I'm getting enough rest and say no to certain things that just wouldn't necessarily benefit the group, the angels we work with and the, and the founders. So being able to manage that expectation, really, really, it's been a lot better. So yeah, it's, it's a lot better now than it was initially. But you learn, I learned a lot about, you know, even building a company from scratch and working with new people. Like it's, it's definitely... It's definitely been a, a great experience to say the least. Thank you so much for that, Emmanuel. I think it's always important for us to, you know, look at what the reality and not just, you know, of the, the business side, but the personal side and what we say no to. Because, you know, I think, and even myself, and I, I don't know why I do this. Sometimes I have this fantasy of my working self. I'm like, just be at your laptop and you're going to go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, you don't need to sleep. It's fine. And then I get to the <laughs> my body's like, um, no. And then I wake yeah. up and I try to wake up and I'm like, okay, 6 a.m. wake up. And I get to 2 p.m. and I'm just like, I just want to go to bed. It's not mm-hmm. sustainable. It's not realistic. And you learn so much about, and I or, I mean, you say this and then your body changes, you know, every three years. And But you're learning so much about what you physically can and cannot do and what you have to sacrifice. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you know what, friends, I'll see you in two years. I don't mean that literally, but you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. was like, this isn't going to be the same regular thing, but it's also, I think, very important. And I love that you spoke about rest. Like, you you cannot give up rest because I think there's this fantasy of, like, you know, sleep when you're dead. And I always say to someone, but you're not sleeping, you're dead. Like, and those <laughs> things, you know, I, I, I had to say this to someone. I was like, there's a difference between sleeping and death. Like, sleep when you what, sleep when you need to sleep and then figure yeah. it out. And I think, yeah, it's really important that you brought up rest and just, you know, and also making decisions for the business that aren't for the short term, but actually benefit the long term because you know 
And I know with starting businesses and I've spoken to a lot of founders, it's like sometimes an, like an opportunity comes and you're like, yeah, but like if we take this, like X, Y, Z can get paid tomorrow and this, like, that can happen like so quickly. But then you have to pause and say, in six months, am I still going to want to have this, you know, yeah. attached to my business? And those are hard decisions. And it's the, just the reality of, yeah, founding and, you know, sustaining a business, again, that has a heart, which, you know, CGV does. And, you know, that also has like a long-term vision and understanding of what it is and what, what it seeks to do. So thank you so much for this conversation so far, Manuel. I'm having a great time um, learning so much. I'm going to be like Googling so many things after this. <laughs> I want to understand more about angel investment and how you can get £50,000, basically. <laughs> One day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you raise some bigger checks soon. More, more, more um, angels coming to the table for sure. Yeah, I would like to angel. I just need to. I need someone to angel me first uh, so that I can angel <laughs> someone else. <laughs> Make sure your basics are covered. You should be fine. <laughs> who knows? In this time, this podcast is going to blow up. And then, like, I'm, I'm begging you to come back on the show. And it's like, like sorry, oh, mate. Actually, sorry. Oh, I've been oh, angels. <laughs> this is what I'm going to say. When I make it, I'm like, sorry, guys. I was angels. <laughs> like, wow, Nikki, you changed. <laughs> yes, I will. No, I'm <laughs> Okay. Hmm. So we're going to the next phase of the podcast, which is what's hot in the industry, where we pull something that's um, happening within the industry, either, you know, um, very recently, and then we ask a question to our guests about it. And because we've been talking so much about funding and, you know, VCs and equity, I looked at some reports, so 2020, and unshockingly, <laughs> um, 2020 reports show that only 38 black entrepreneurs received VC funding over the last decade. So over, you know, between 2000 and 2020, and, no, 2010, I can't do math, and 2020, only 38 um, black founders. And this equated to not 0.24% of all monies invested, which you're just like, I'm not shocked, mind saddened, you know, because that's such a dismal figure, like 38 in the UK over 10 years is just, uh, it's a terrible sort of number. Um, but what I want to ask you, because we've talked at length about, you know, the lack of funding, we've talked about, you know, that you are speaking to so many different businesses. You're speaking to businesses owned by Black, Asian, Middle Eastern, you know, like anyone who's considered, you know, ethnic. I don't like to say minority. I like to say ethnic majority because if you look, if you work out the numbers, okay, minority mm -hmm. is not quite the space for using. So ethnic mm -hmm. majorities. Um, you're speaking to so many, you know, diverse businesses. So what do you think VCs are missing by ignoring, you know, Black and, you know, ethnic majority entrepreneurship like what are they missing out on you know because you're speaking to me i'm sure you're seeing so much yes. my is so much amazingness on my biased you know black side but what are they missing by um not giving money to these companies they're missing they they might as well take the money they have on it they they might as well take the money the you know limited partners so you know pension funds you know big, bigger family houses of rich people who put money into these vcs they might as well just take the money they have and just burn it the reason why i say that isn't to be controversial or incendiary it's just that time and time again they just don't see it right they don't see you know they don't see why the likes of a, a trim it is, is, is going to work. They don't see the likes of a, a, a cashmere is going to work. They don't see like, you know, why Afrocentrics can't work or, you know, afraid that will work. Like they don't see, they have a lens and that lens blinds into opportunities which will resonate with, you know, people from our communities. And that in itself just shows that, you know, there's just a lack of understanding of the global ethnic majority we all come from i'm quick with you i'm quick with you. And, and, and and you know they're gonna miss opportunities and you know <laughs> that's it at first before the pandemic and before you know a lot of things happened last year i was optimistic but now i'm just very cynic and cynical about at least you know them getting it in terms of certain vcs getting it um, i'm very cynical because the people who make those decisions just will not get it 10 years you know was it 38 companies yeah. And I think if I'm correct from that report, there was only one that was a woman, if I'm correct, that raised yeah. a series A round. Yeah. I have seen companies approach companies who are not within the target demographic we're after at CGV approach us with just a deck in PowerPoint and also like five million. So, so, <laughs> so and, 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 and that's the thing which a lot of people don't see right is that a lot of companies get funded for a lot of companies who are white-led get funded for you know barely anything 
And, and you know, fundraising is hard across the board, but like when people are getting funded with barely anything and they are people who have traction, they're, you know, they're averaging more revenue per user. They've got, you know, millions of pounds coming through their business already with like, you know, two people in a team and barely any money raised at all. Like, where would you put your money in an in idea that, you know, it might completely fund in two years time or uh, a company who's got really solid metrics really solid growth numbers attached to it but because the founder is black you don't even consider it and 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 you know the vcs they will they will use their you know quarterly retreat days and they'll use their slogans and their black squares but unless unless they're opening the person sending the wires and making the hires and key key positions it's all just talk to me and i've seen it firsthand so i, I try I, the thing is, I, I give people a chance right and i try and i, I tried with a few VC firms and they, you know, they go on about, they support diverse founders and diverse communities and whatnot, which come to shove, you present opportunity to them that fits their criteria for them to invest at, particularly at the pre-seed stage, and they just don't even bother to consider it. So that, that just shows to me, you don't really care. And yeah. I think if, if you approach it that way, that a majority of these VC firms will not necessarily care, find the ones that will care about your particular industry and build those relationships with build those relationships with them. Try to understand, you know, who are the people that invest in your space. Really do some analysis. You know, really, literally, like, not necessarily spy on them, but look at the interviews they've done. Look at the blogs they've posted. Look mm. at their tweets, and kind of use that to understand how you frame your company as an opportunity for that particular decision maker. And 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 literally, that's that's how I see things going for at least the next couple of years. But a positive thing when I look to the states, I'm seeing more black VC firms getting funded in a tune of like hundreds of millions, like the likes yeah. of Harlem Capital and then a few, a few, a few others are cut that, that are really doing well in terms of, I think literally in the last couple of months, there's been four of them that are black led that are raising hundred million dollar rounds to invest in black led and diverse startups in, in the US. I still think in the UK, we're quite away from that, but what we could do is get more engine investors, people who've obviously, you know, they've been quite successful to write those, you know, five, 10. 20, 50, maybe 100K checks. <laughs> um, People have it. And then obviously look to get some black-led VCs who actually invest in black uh, opportunities. I think I think that's very important that that happens at scale because there have been situations where startups were not given the best experience working with founders who say they support and invest in black founders. And, you know, it, it, it's, we need more. We need hundreds of thousands of them uh, to come through to really help with those numbers. Um, and I think that, that that's changing, but we still, we're still not there yet. And that's why, you know, on our end, we are pushing to get more people to the table because we know if you get more, it's, it's, it's just really a numbers game. If you get more black-led startups and companies, even outside of startups, right, that get funding at the early stage, they're able to build sustainable businesses, they're able to market to more people, get more customers, and then they could go, you know, maybe get a loan if they're not a startup or if they want to go raise another round, they've got the numbers to help them to get that other round. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that funding at the early stage, I don't care if you're doing the C stage fund, if you're doing a, a series A fund, a series B fund, focus on black people, you're not going to get the numbers you need. So that's mm -hmm. why that early, early part where CGV is focused on is really getting that capital into founders' hands to help grow and scale their business to the next level. I, I do think, you know, like, relying on people to help do that is just not going to work everyone's just got to pull up their, their their sleeves and really get in and really help these businesses um scale and and provide a capital more importantly to help them scale as well awesome yeah that's i guess yeah that's i can't add anything to that one because it's not my area of expertise but also because like you said really well what needs to be said on you know what's being missed out is you're missing out on just so much goodness. You're missing out on just, yeah, so many innovative ideas. And again, it's this, it's coming back to this idea of the majority, um, the ethnic majority, because yeah. because you can't see it being impactful in your life doesn't mean there aren't millions to the billions of people who will be impacted by this product. And that's just your loss. 
And I'm really hopeful that the UK space, you know, is able to catch up with, you know, the United States and we'll start to see, you know, owned organisations, you know, feeding into the ecosystem and helping companies build and scale and seeing founders exit to do it all over again, because that would be a wonderful, I think, thing to see. Before I die, I say this like I'm, you know, on the cusp. <laughs> change also takes time so you know yeah, so I, i'm being you know quite realistic about this not being morbid change does take time and yeah we just also have to again expectations of what the reality of what we want to see versus what we will see when we will see that change happen is important so as you round off the show just gonna you know tap into expectations so what is my question for you Manuel? So, you know, so my question for you is you know we're speaking we've spoken to people we've spoken on the show about people might thinking about being angel investors or people needing to be angel investors rather so what would you say you know for people who are have listening to this and thinking okay angel investing what's that like what how do I find out more what should they be aware of you know before wanting to jump headfirst into this industry what should they expect or understand about angel, angel investing before they jump you know headfirst in I, I that that really that's a great question by the way and I think that's an important question to, to ask before you dive into anything is like you know manage your expectations what what are you getting into and i guess it all starts from like i always tell people like what angel investor are you are you you know do you like to be hands-on because you've got you know a certain number of experience that you would like to obviously advise the startups with and help them take them to the next level you could probably lean, lean on that do you have a wider network of connections already that you've built up in your professional career that can help you know startups that want to get access to you know really big enterprise companies or like you know really big retail companies for example like tesco's or whatnot you've, you've got that experience and those connections can you leverage that for the startup and also do you just want to write the write the write the check and forget about it <laughs> you can't you can't fault people who want to do that as well so yeah I, I think it's important to understand who you like what type of investor angel investor you are and once you get an understanding of that is to a figure out okay what do you need to learn i think a really good book that has been really helpful is angel by Jason Kanekanis. Um, if and I probably butchered his name, but if you find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, DM me, I'll, I'll send you a link to his book. It really helps crystallize at least what an angel investor in the States looks like. If you're looking for what angel investor in the UK looks like, The Invested Investor is, is a book by a renowned angel investor who comes out of Cambridge. So I could, I could ping you that link as well. It really crystallizes what an investor is in the UK, at least angel investors in the UK and how you would approach that, right? I think once you've got a good understanding of what that is and, you know, there's some other resources like, you know, diving into This Week in Startups on YouTube, they're, they're, they're podcasts essentially, but they have an angel investor section. Really read up on that, digest that. Then you get an idea of like, okay, here is where I'm best fitted. Because it seems quite vast and, you know, quite a lot of things to do. But if you break it down and how I like to approach things, I like to break things down into different chunks. First phase, what type of investor are you? Second phase, obviously, like, you know, really trying to understand the whole ecosystem. And the third question you need to ask yourself is like, you know, how much capital can you allocate towards this as well? I would not suggest that anyone allocates all their money to angel investing. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> you got to make sure that, you know, you got your bases covered and, you know, you, you oh yeah, if you've got a significant other in your life as well, you got to make sure that they, they sign up on that because, you know, yeah. you can't. Hey, you're risking oh. doing that. <laughs> Finance is um, the number one course of divorce. <laughs> exactly. So, got to get that right. Then you figure out, okay, I can make one or two investments a year. Maybe I could only do one, but I really want to learn. But then you obviously you could reach out to our community, our community growth ventures, or our website. So it's communitygrowth.ventures, and reach out to us. I'm more than happy to have a conversation. If you're looking to, you know, take that first step in your investment journey, and also like, yeah, I think it's it's, it's an opportunity for you to learn from really sharp people, really get exposure to different industries and amazing people building amazing products. The, the type of people we come across, like example, I was speaking to a startup that's, you know, that's basically a remittance marketplace that helps people looking to send money back to across the African continent and eventually the Caribbean as well to find the best rates for whatever currency you're trying to send money. And having experienced going to Western Union in, in, in my younger in the younger part of my life I know firsthand of that being a pain so but they're focused on a massive massive market right and I look at them I'm like solid team good market like you know product is really good and VCs I'm not seeing it I'm like I see it so I'm jumping in so, <laughs> so that that's that's kind of the joy of these investments is that you see something so clearly that 
how can it not work, right? Like when I see Afrocentrics and I remember back in 2018, a lot, a lot of people who supposedly support black founders said no to that company. I'm not going to name no names. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of people did. And, and the, the investment we talked about as well, a lot of people said that they support black founders. They will not want to invest in, in, in our startup, right? And, you know, they see things differently than we see things at CGV. But then when you have a conviction about a startup, when you just meet someone or a team. And you founders, know, yeah. You just know. And obviously you, you do your research on the market, do your research on the type of opportunity it is. And yeah, you just, you're backing amazing people. That's what it is, right? You want to provide opportunities and, you know, back amazing people, put in amazing things for our community. I mean, what, what else do you have to lose, right? So yeah, but once you sort out, you know, what type of investor you are, really research what it is and learn. And then obviously, you know, they try to connect with people who know what, who've been there, done that, done the investments more importantly, so they can guide you along that way. Allocate your capital. I think you should be good to go um, in terms of making that angel investment journey. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. And I'm going to just chime in here with the book rec, you know, adding to Emmanuel's fantastic list. So if you're on the African continent, there's a book by someone called Sangu Dell called Making Futures. Um, he speaks to entrepreneurs and investors and you just sort of get a, um, a sense of, what investing in entrepreneurship is looking like in present day African marketplace. So yeah, that's a really, really good book for anyone who's interested in understanding, you know, particularly the African, he speaks to, yeah, 14 across a few different countries. So you can get quite a good range of narrative understanding of that space. Um, but it's been so wonderful to speak to you, Manuel. I'm actually sad we got to the end of this conversation. I mean, I thought it was- <laughs> There's so many tangents that could have gone on. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back. Bill we'll Housewives and ending at hiring. <laughs> we yes. could have really, really have done a lot. <laughs> um, well, it's been a great conversation. And before we leave, can you just let people know where to find you on socials or where you want to be found on socials? Absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn, so Emmanuel Remu, Emmanuel, A-R-E-M-U. Also on Twitter, E. A-R-E-M-U. So my DMs are open on that as well. Also on Instagram, same uh, handle as my Twitter one as well. So any questions you have, ping me. Would I have would I have to have a conversation? If you're if you're a founder looking for investment, I uh, go to communitygrowth.ventures. Uh, that's our website for fill, fill in our, our founder form and we'll get back to you. If you're looking to, you know, make that make that first step in your angel investment journey, uh, we are putting together a group of angel investors who are actively investing right now. We've got a couple of deals coming through. So yeah, just go to the website. There's a form for investors as well. Fill that in and we'll get back to you shortly. Amazing. Again, thank you so much, Emmanuel. And thank you everyone for listening. This has been Beyond All My Expectations and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.